Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so my name's Brian Bradley, uh, and I occasionally teach, and uh, most of the time I'm back in the children's ministry, kind of helping oversee that, and uh, teaching uh, one of the preschool classes back there, which, which I love doing. But um, uh, this morning, uh, you know, Matt asked me to, to preach, to, to bring a message, and we just concluded our last series, and, and I think Matt's kicking something new off next week. And so I was kind of thinking, where, um, you know, where should I go? What should I do? And, and this passage, uh, which is going to be Matthew chapter 8 uh, in verse 28, th- this has been something that's been rolling around in my head for like six months, I think, uh, that I was, I was just reading my, my Bible uh, one night, and this passage stuck out to me as being kind of odd in a number of ways. And, uh, and so it's just kind of been rattling around in my head. And so I thought, man, this, this may be a perfect time to dig into this a little bit and, and teach on this. Uh, so I'm excited to do that. Before I, before I get into it, um, I'll ask this question. Have you had a moment in your life that you knew you were just, you were standing on the brink of something big? Have you had a moment where you knew that one way or the other, how you decide this moment is going to have a profound impact on the rest of your life. One of those big decisions, those big moments, I think we've all had them, uh, maybe more than once through our life. It it may have been a decision to go to school or or what school to go to. It may have been a decision about whether or not to take a particular job. It may have been um, a a health decision. Tim, uh, on Tuesday at Equip, used an example of a woman who found out she had cancer while she was pregnant. And the decision she was faced with, if you guys remember that that were there on Tuesday or if you weren't, she was faced with this decision. If she treats the cancer, it will most likely kill her baby. But if she goes through with the pregnancy and has her baby, the baby should be fine, but the cancer will probably advance to a point that will kill her. Uh, What a decision. Either way you go, life is going to be very different. And obviously, uh, or, or maybe not obviously, but she chose uh, to forego treatment, to have her baby, the baby was born healthy, and then I think six weeks later or something, the cancer uh, killed her. Um, she, she decided to give up her life for her child. So maybe you've had a, a health decision uh, of some sort, maybe not that intense, but, but man, if we go this route, this is going to mean X, and if we go this route, it's going to mean Y. Um, and, and maybe with a relationship, you've had something like this, this, this life-changing moment. Uh, and that's kind of what our, what our story is about. I, I thought I'd share a life-changing moment uh, with you from, from my life. I, I decided a, a few years ago, uh, now I'm, I'm business partners with my dad. Uh, my dad is not a Christian, and uh, I felt like I should uh, step away from the business and go to work here at Outward. And coming to that conclusion and, and trying to, to make that decision, I knew that one way or the other, things were going to be very different. Um, and stepping into that conversation, I thought, uh, this may be a deal breaker between my dad and I. Uh, this, the, him not being a Christian may not understand this decision the way that I understand it. And I mean, this could cause a rift in our relationship. It could, you know, cause a rift in the family. Uh, he may not want to talk to me ever again. I mean, this, this could change everything. And so that's the kind of a, a big life-changing moment. As it would turned out, um, 
I, I decided to take that step and, and uh, you know, my dad and I kind of worked through that. It was a little rocky at first, but, but we worked through that and, um, you know, we're, we're still on good terms. But um, it was just one of those where I, I felt like I'm, I'm standing at the edge of a cliff and it's like, man, I can do this or this, but no matter what I do, it, uh, it's going to be different. <laughs> Things are going to change. So that's, that's kind of what we get into here in, in Matthew 8, verse 28. This is a story. It's kind of an odd story, uh, but I'll just read it, and then we'll, we'll kind of break it down and, and walk through this a little bit. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. I mean, what a strange scene, right? Is it any wonder this stuck out to me? Like, what is going on here? So Jesus had just done some other miracles. Uh, they get on a boat. They, they travel across the sea. They get out of the boat in this area that is just, it, it has these demon-possessed men. We don't know exactly how many, if this is two or, or more. Uh, one primarily does the talking, but uh, apparently this, you know, what they were suffering from, these men were so fierce that nobody went that way, right? People would walk a distance around this area because they didn't want to encounter these guys. They didn't want anything to do with them. Uh, Jesus gets out of the boat right in that area, and apparently it's very close by because these guys walk right up to him uh, and start talking to him. These guys were living in the tombs, uh, which would have been like burial caves, okay? So like a, a big graveyard of burial caves. These guys are living in there, um, which was, I mean, just, just a, a strange situation. These guys come out of these burial caves. Um, in, in other gospel accounts, the story shows up in, in all three synoptic gospels. They, they show up in, in, in three different ways from three different perspectives so we can get more detail. Um, these guys apparently had been chained up by the locals at different times because they were so afraid of these men. They had chained them up, and these guys would break free of the chains and the restraints that they would put them under. So uh, some incredible, like, superhuman strength going on, um, some, some just strange incidents. And then nearby, as, as Jesus comes up and these men approach and they start having this exchange, nearby you have these herdsmen and this herd of pigs Okay, uh, several thousand pigs is, is what we're told in, in another place. So this big herd of pigs, and, and you've got a couple of guys that are, you know, watching them graze or whatever pigs do, um, and, and they're just kind of standing nearby. And they probably, again, they're, they're probably a, a fairly good distance away because they want to keep their distance from these crazy guys. Uh, they're some distance away, but they probably hear this shouting, this exchange going on, and maybe they, they go a little closer we don't know, but, but they come closer, at least close enough that they can hear and see all that's going on because they later go and tell everybody. 
So these herdsmen are nearby. They're listening in. There's this angry exchange, this yelling happening uh, from, from these men towards Jesus. Uh, Jesus doesn't say a whole bunch. In fact, I, I think he says simply, go, uh, when he casts them out, uh, when he casts these demons out. Uh, the demons beg and, and bargain with Jesus here, um, pleading for their life, apparently, pleading uh, not to be tormented by Jesus. And they say, send us into these pigs. They, it was a foregone conclusion. We know Jesus is going to cast us out of these men. At least go send us into these pigs. And if you can just imagine being these herdsmen, like hearing this, our pigs? Send them into our pigs? Well, are you sure? And then all of a sudden, your pigs just go crazy, and they start running and kill themselves. They throw themselves off a cliff or whatever and drown in the water like, what in the world just happened? Uh, obviously freaked out, they run into town and they tell everybody, you, you aren't going to believe what we just saw, what we just experienced. And they tell them what Jesus had done. They told them about the men who were demon-possessed. And then the crowds come out, right? And this is not a strange scene to Jesus. This happens a lot. The crowds come to see what he's all about. Crowds come to experience the healing and the miracles. Crowds come to hear him teach. Uh, and, and crowds also leave when they hear him teach. They leave when they hear what Jesus is all about. They think this is too much. This crowd comes out. And when the crowd gets there, from one of the other accounts, uh, it says that the man, uh, the, the, the man or men that were demon-possessed were now fully clothed and normal. They're hanging out and actually talking to Jesus. As, as normal as you and I. And everybody in the area knew about these guys and, and I'm sure who they were and, and that they had broken these restraints and they were living in the caves and stuff. And now they're dressed normally. Uh, they probably brought, it, brought them some clothes, got them dressed, and, and they're sitting there and they're hanging out with Jesus and talking to him. Just imagine being one of those townspeople. Imagine coming out and seeing, hearing the story from the herdsmen and then coming and seeing a total transformation, total change. And here's Jesus talking to these guys. How, how weird, how strange. Now imagine if you were in this moment, if you were one of these townspeople, what would you say? What would you say to Jesus? And I thought, man, they, they could have asked so many questions that they didn't ask. They could have asked so many questions that they didn't ask. They could have asked, how did you know that these guys were demon-possessed? Jesus coming from another region, how, how did you know these guys were demon-possessed? How did you know they weren't just crazy or, or something? I mean, how did you know? If they had asked that question, Jesus could have told them about his omniscience. He could have told them that he is all-knowing. Jesus could have explained to them, as it says in John 2, uh, verse 25, that Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He could have told them that he sees, he sees past the exterior, that Jesus sees our hearts, our intentions, our souls. He could have told them how much he knows. He could have explained that to them. He sees the intentions of our hearts as well as everything else. If they had asked that question, maybe he would have told them. Or they could have asked, how is it that even demons obey you? 
Jesus, how, how is it that you say one word and these men that have been plagued by this legion of demons flee from him, go into these pigs and go kill themselves? How is it that demons obey you, Jesus? This is wild. This is crazy. And Jesus could have told them about his authority. Jesus could have told them that he is king of kings, lord of lords. Jesus could have told them, uh, like it says in Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews it says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. The heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. Jesus could have told him how he was there at the creation of the world. That all things that were created were created through him. That's the authority he has. He could have said, uh, he could have explained, as it says here, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint. The exact imprint of his nature. He could have explained that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus could have explained his authority that he will sit at the right hand of God. That's the authority he has. And in verse 4 there, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. If they had simply asked that question, how is it the demons obey you? Jesus could have explained that authority. He could have explained all of those things. But they didn't ask that question. If they had asked, why did you take time to help these men? We walk around them. We avoid these men. What? They're, they're outcasts of society. They're living in a graveyard in caves with dead bodies. Jesus, why did you even take the time to help them? If they had asked this question, Jesus could have told them about his mercy and his grace. That having all authority, he still has good news for the low and the lowly. Like Luke records in chapter 4, when Jesus went to the temple and then he stood up and, and he read from the scroll of Isaiah... And Jesus reads and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, healing to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If they had asked, why did you take time to help these outcasts, these low and lowly, Jesus could have explained that he is here for good news, for liberty, for healing, for freedom, for favor of the Lord. He could have told them all about that. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This Jesus with all authority, who was wealthy beyond imagination and not wealthy in the earthly sense, wealthy, wealthy in a heavenly sense, that he sits on the throne, the throne of thrones, that he would set down those riches to become poor so that we who are poor might become rich. What grace, what mercy. Jesus could have told them all about it. They could have asked, why is it that the demons call you son of God? We heard them say, Jesus, that, that you are son of God. What does that mean? What are they talking about? Jesus could have told them all about his deity. He could have told them all about how he is more than any other man that has been or, or will be. As John records at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the word. He's talking about Jesus here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus could have explained that He was with God and that He is God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus could have told them about his deity. He could have told them that he's God. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a, a holy man or an example, but he's God in the flesh. He could have told them all about that. Unlike anyone else that has ever been seen. In fact, they were just getting off the boat, remember, in our passage. They were just getting off the boat. The paragraph before, Jesus is asleep on that boat, and there's a terrible storm tossing this boat around, and the boat's taking on water, and the disciples are freaking out because they thought they were dying in this storm, and Jesus is asleep, getting some much-needed rest. And they come down, and they say, Jesus, why are you sleeping? We're, we're about to die. And Jesus, maybe a little disturbed that he had to wake up, goes up to the boat, the, the surface, and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And they stop and they go still. Jesus could have just told them what had just happened on the boat if they had asked him that question. That at my word, the wind and the waves obey. And the last question I think they, they could have asked, they could have asked, what did the demons mean when they said, before the time? Have you come to torment us before the time? Jesus, what time? What time are they talking about? And Jesus could have explained to them about the judgment that's coming. Jesus could have explained that he sits on this seat of judgment 
that everyone will give account for the things that they have done, both good and bad, and that all of our sins are alienating us from God, that no one is without sin, that no one seeks for God. He could have told them about the judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about this. Down in verse 10 he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Jesus could have explained this judgment that's to come. And like Paul goes on to say then in verse 21, Jesus could have explained an even sweeter truth. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus could have explained that there is a judgment. That we are all alienated from God. We are all on the wrong side of that. That we are all enemies of God because of our sin and our rebellion. And Jesus could have gone on to explain, but don't worry. Because I'm taking the fullness of that judgment on myself. That here soon I am going to go to the cross and you're going to kill me brutally kill me but that's what i must do to take the brunt of the judgment that is due to you and in exchange i will give you my perfect righteousness my obedience it's what we call the great exchange i'll take your sin and your rebellion and the punishment that's due and i will give you my righteousness and my obedience and the reward that's due if you'll believe in me jesus could have told them about the judgment and he could have told them that he's taking it on himself if they had asked that question but they don't ask any of those questions they ask only that he leave. I don't know if you caught that. In the last verse, behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. That was their response to being confronted with the person and the work of Jesus. This is too much. I, you got to get out of here. You, you've got to leave. That was their response. They're afraid of his power. I think they're afraid of his authority, having seen and heard what they had just experienced I think they were afraid of change as well in a sense they're kind of saying Jesus we've got a good thing going on here okay we're fine why don't you take off don't mess up this good thing we have going on now now let me bring this back to you and I what, what does this 
town's response to Jesus have to do with you and me today, 2,000 years later? This is what was sticking out to me. What are your demons, metaphorically, maybe, maybe literally, uh, sin? Is there a, a sin that just refuses to leave? Is, is there an addiction? Is it that you, 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 you just have this angry personality, you fly off the handle quickly? Is it some family past thing? What, what, is, what are your demons? What plague you? I know that I have, in this metaphorical sense, I have demons that plague me. Past sins, past decisions, family matters, all, all these things. And in, in regards to my sin, I've done exactly what this town has done. I've tried to quarantine them off to the graveyard. I've tried to shackle and bind them. Just trying to control my sin. If, if, if I can just keep my sin over here in this corner of my life, then maybe it won't affect the rest of the town. I quarantine it. But sin, like these men, break the restraints. They come out of that designated area. They do affect the rest of my life. And, and I think we, because I know that I sometimes am afraid of what it's going to mean if Jesus comes and tells my sin, go. If Jesus comes to deal with it, not to manage it, but to finish it, I'm afraid of what that means. If I can be honest, sometimes I don't know I want the sin to go. I don't know I want to let go of it. I'm not proud of that, but it's like this is how I'm torn, just like these people. Maybe you've been faced with the gospel. Maybe you have heard this gospel, this good news about Jesus and how he wants your life. He wants you to believe in him because he has something better for you, eternally better, that he wants to forgive you his, uh, of your sins. He wants to take your place on the cross and exchange with you his righteousness. Maybe you've been faced by that and you're afraid of what that means. I don't know what happens if I submit to that, but I know that right now things are comfortable and things are okay. So I'd rather not risk it. Jesus, I've got a good thing going on. Why don't you just leave me be? I think you'd better leave. Has that been your response? Has that been my response? For a Christian, that, that may be refusing to come to a place of, of fully surrendering to Jesus. It, it, it may be refusing to give up a sin or an addiction. It may be refusing to be obedient to that which God has called you to. For somebody who's not a Christian, this, this response could be just disbelieving the gospel, pushing it away, afraid of what it means. 
Listen, the, the people who saw what Jesus had done, the people in this town that came out and they looked around, they knew one thing. They knew one thing. If this guy is for real, then it changes everything. And they're exactly right. If this Jesus is for real, then I'm at one of these moments where I am standing on a cliff and whichever way I decide is going to change everything. And I don't just mean the moment where you become a Christian, although certainly that, but I also mean daily as Christians, when we are faced with the gospel, when we are faced with Jesus and his power and his authority, we know that, man, this is going to change everything. If I give this area of my life up to Jesus, it's going to change everything. And that's exactly right. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you how, uh, at how patient you've been with us. Even though our response, my response is often like these people, where I say, I don't know, Jesus. I, I think maybe you ought to move on to the next town. I, I don't know if I want to let you in on this, uh, let, let you in to what's going on here. You might have something better, but, but it's unknown and it's frightening. Why don't you just leave me with what I have? God, but you're patient with us and you continue to pursue us. God, I thank you for that. And Jesus, I thank you for your gospel that because of that same rebellion that causes us to push you away, you went to the cross and you died. You paid for that rebellion and, and the whole host of other sins that we bring to the table. Jesus, thank you for that. Lord, I pray that if, if, if people are, are being faced with one of those decisions right now, if people are being faced with your gospel, if people are being faced with your authority, your grace, your mercy, your deity, your, your person, God, I pray that they would not respond like these townspeople, that they would respond in humility. And God, I pray that for myself as well. Help me to respond in humility, to receive your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.